Military murder is an independent project and is not endorsed by the Department of Defense or any military component. The views expressed are those of the host. The content of this podcast is not meant to be legal or medical advice. Warning, this episode contains graphic details of murder and is not suitable for young listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back, True Crime Army. I am your host, Marco, and this is Military Murder, a podcast where I focus on true crimes committed by military members and veterans. But don't worry, you don't have to know anything about the military to listen, I promise. You just have to be a true crime enthusiast. And if that's you, welcome home. First, I need to start off today's episode with a few thank yous. One million thank yous to be exact. Last week, Military Murder hit a huge milestone. We are officially in the 1 million download club. That's right. Military Murder has been downloaded over a million times. And I just want to thank you all, my listeners and my supporters, for making it happen. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I'm over the moon. And we over here are thrilled at Casa Margot. Honestly, I am beyond words. But I know you came here for the show. So let's move on. Can you believe it's already May? May. It's a month that we dedicate to celebrating the most wonderful women in our lives. Be it the woman that birthed us into this world, the women who raised us, or the women we choose to spend the rest of our lives with. It's a wonderful month. Stores like K-Jewelers hold back no punches to ensure their advertising is on point because there is no price limit when it comes to gifts for our favorite ladies. They sacrifice so much. They love us so much. And they're always home waiting for us with open arms. And usually when you haven't been home for a long time, they are there with a kitchen full of our favorite goodies, no matter how long we've been away from home. And well, this year, I wanted to bring you a story of a wife and mother that seemed, she seemed to be the loving, tender picture of a military wife and a military mother. However, she was anything but... Join me today as I tell you a story more sinister than last year's Mother's Day story. This is the story of Judy Buenoaño. Now, let's dig in. This story was researched and written in collaboration with one of our very own listeners and fan club members, Myrtle. The sources for this episode include a 1988 Florida Supreme Court opinion, a 1998 11th Circuit Court of Criminal Appeals decision, an episode of IDTV's Deadly Women, and websites MilitaryJusticeForAll.com, Deseret News, UPI, and Colorado Springs Gazette Telegraph. Judeus Judy Welty was born in Texas on April 4, 1943. She was the second youngest of four kids. When she was just a toddler, her mother died. Her father, a single dad of four, could not handle life with that many kids. So he made the tough decision of putting his two oldest kids into the foster system while he sent his youngest two, including Judy, to live with their grandparents. Judy seemed to do well with her grandparents, but we don't really know too much. Meanwhile, her father eventually remarried a woman who had two sons. Seeing as he was more stable now, Judy's father snagged up his two youngest kids and they moved away to live life as a blended family in New Mexico. But Judy's new life was nothing like the Brady Bunch. 
Judy was put to work, and if she didn't do what she was told, according to her, she was deprived of food, she was beaten, and she was even burned with cigarettes. Yikes! Not the life that she was used to and not the life that any child should have to live. It's not surprising that Judy developed strong feelings of anger and resentment, not only towards her father and stepmother, but also her two step-siblings who appeared to join in on all the taunts. And the anger inside Judy swelled until one day it was just too much to contain. One day she grabbed a pan of hot grease and burned her stepbrothers with it. Then she went after her stepmother and father in a fit of rage. Judy's father was able to gain control of Judy and the situation while someone called 911. Everyone was on edge and Judy's dad wanted her to be held responsible to the fullest extent of the law. Judy was only 14 years old at the time of this attack and she would go on to spend 60 days in jail. After her release, she was placed in reform school where she appears to have done well. And upon graduation, she quickly packed up her stuff in New Mexico and returned to her hometown in Texas. Right after high school, she became a nurse's aide. And in 1961, at the young age of 18 years old, she became pregnant with her first son, Michael. It's unclear who Michael's father was, but it was rumored that the baby daddy was in the Air Force. And once he found out about the kid, he didn't want anything to do with Judy or Michael. But Judy had no problem finding herself a man. And a year after Michael's birth, Judy was married to a noble military man, a man willing to accept Michael as his own. It was Air Force Sergeant James Goodyear. They were married in 1962 and he actually adopted young Michael. So Michael went by Michael Goodyear from then on. And it wouldn't be long before they began to add more kids to the family, including James Jr. in 66 and Kimberly in 67. By the time Kimberly came along, they had moved from Texas to Orlando, Florida, and that's where they had settled with the military. All seemed to be going well. The family was thriving and James Goodyear was doing well in the military. Then, eight years after they were first married, the military did what it typically does. It tagged James with a year-long deployment to good old Vietnam. It was 1970 and off James went, leaving behind Judy with the three kiddos. Judy held down the fort back in Orlando, as military spouses are often called to do. And James thought about his family every second that he could, probably just wanting to return home as soon as possible. And in June of 1971, James survived his deployment and he was happy to be reunited with his family. But not even a few months after he got home, he got extremely sick. Everyone was thinking it was a result of a year-long deployment to Vietnam. And we all now know that Agent Orange was a real thing. So anyway, by September 13th of that year, James was extremely sick and he was admitted to the U.S. Naval Hospital in Orlando. James told his doctors that he had been suffering from nausea, vomiting and diarrhea for about two weeks. Doctors were running test upon test and trying to figure out what the problem was, but they were baffled. There was no diagnosis and boom, just like that, James was dead. According to court records, he suffered fluid overload and pulmonary congestion and died as a consequence of cardiovascular collapse and renal failure. The Goodyear family of five was now the Goodyear family of four. And Judy had to figure out how to make ends meet without James. But thankfully, the military has pretty good life insurance benefits. And within just a few days, Judy was able to cash that in for $33,000. 
She also received something like $62,000 from the VA. So clearly, she would at least have something to get back on her feet. And if this poor widow's luck couldn't be any worse, as she was getting ready to move her family from Orlando to Pensacola, boom, her house and all of its belongings burned down in a freak accident. No kidding. Thankfully, she had homeowner's insurance because from the house fire, she received an additional 90000 k Looking at inflation, if you add up how much life insurance, VA benefits payout, and homeowner's insurance Judy received had everything happened today in 2021, we are looking at close to 1.2 million buckaroos. With all her bad luck, though, Judy was able to relocate her kids to Pensacola. And well, Judy would soon find a new love interest in a man named Bobby Joe Morris. Hi, everyone. For anyone who follows me on Instagram, I recently posted a picture of me with my kiddos at Disney in front of the Disney castle. But I posted it because my shoulders were looking on fire, defined, toned, and overall just pleasant to look at. So many of you asked me in my DMs for my secret. And of course, my secret is 4 a.m. workouts. But I get the oomph to wake up at 4 a.m. and work out from my pre-workout drink called Energy Explosion. My pre-workout powder was created by world-renowned fitness guru Natalia Melofit. I have been following Natalia for many years now. And in fact, after my second C-section, I hired her as my fitness trainer. And she also helped me postpartum with my third C-section as well. So when she came out with a pre-workout supplement that didn't cause any of the jitters and the crashing, I knew I needed to try it. Energy Explosion helps with energy, and it keeps me going all through the morning hours. Because I take it first thing in the morning, which is when I choose to work out, I no longer require that morning cup of joe. This pre-workout has nootropic ingredients, which significantly help me personally with mental clarity and focus. Which, listen, when you're juggling what feels like hundreds of tasks a day, it truly does help. And guess what? My listeners are getting 15% off your order. What? Yes, please. If you're ready to get the pump without the jitters, visit mbodysup.com and enter my code MAMAMARGO at checkout for 15% off your order. That's M as in Mike, body, sup as in Sierra, uniform, papa, papa, dot com. Add energy explosion to your car and use my code MAMAMARGO, that's M-A-M-A-M-A-R-G-O-T, for 15% off. Enjoy. And when you use it, please DM me so we can talk about your workouts. During this time, Judy's oldest son, Michael, not surprisingly, started to become a handful and was acting out at school. And today, according to Myrtle, he probably would have been put on an individualized education plan and instructed to use therapeutic methods to help him control his emotions. But remember, he's been through a lot. His father died. He is house burned down and now his mom is seeing a new person. Michael became too much for Judy to handle. And in 1974, she made a very tough decision, one she had seen her own father make. She placed Michael in foster care. She did, however, insist that he be provided mental health treatment. And she claimed she couldn't afford it now that James was gone. It wasn't but three years later in 1977 when Bobby and Judy decided to move the family from Pensacola to Colorado. But before they left, Judy decided to take Michael with her and she removed him from foster care. They were all about to get ready to leave when, wouldn't you know it, the family home, poof, 
burst into flames and burned down to the ground. Okay, wait, what? One fire? Okay, an accident, right? Two back-to-back house fires, though? You have got to be freaking kidding me, right? But no, homeowner's insurance was paid out to a similar tune as the last, and off the family went. Once they settled into their new life in Colorado, Judy changed her name to Judy Morris. She took Bobby Joe's last name, even though they were not technically married. Colorado actually had common law marriage rules, so it was almost as if they were married. Anyway, long after they were settled into their new home, Bobby started to feel sick and he was admitted into the hospital. And Judy must have thought, oh, no, not again. The doctors ran a barrage of tests and attempted to treat Bobby Joe's symptoms, but they couldn't figure out what the hell was going on. So they decided to send him home with Judy. And not even a week later, boom, Bobby Joe died of cardiac arrest while sitting at the dining room table. Poor Judy, right? The second man in her life who just suddenly croaked. What gives? Well, being a widow is hard. You have to figure out funeral arrangements, then you have to figure out money arrangements. And if a family is smart, they have some form of life insurance plan to take care of the family in the event of a sudden death. And well, wouldn't you know it, Bobby Joe had not one, not two, but three life insurance policies, all naming Judy as the beneficiary. After Bobby Joe's death, Judy collected close to $23,000 and off Judy went. It was almost as if she was used to these unfortunate cards that life was handing her. But were they unfortunate? Here she sat, I think, if I'm tracking correctly, she had like two million bucks paid out in life insurance by this point. Judy and the kids moved on. And this time, Judy decided to change her name again. But wait, not just her name. She changed the kid's name as well. This time, they would be known as the Bueno Años. And as Myrtle did research for this episode, she discovered that a rough translation of the new family name Bueno Año is good year in Spanish, which was, remember, her first husband's name. And remember, all the kids should have already, in theory, had his last name, Goodyear. So I don't know what gives with this creepy ass lady, but, you know, I don't know. She she's really given off some bad vibes by this point in the story that if I were her kids, I would want to get the hell out of Dodge. I don't think they were old enough to do so or to even think that something odd was happening. Judy packed up the family once again and moved back to Pensacola. There she was rolling in dough. She bought a new house. She opened a nail salon and she even bought herself a Corvette. (laughs) Yes, a Corvette. I mean, if you got the money, do it, girlfriend. But I hope she also has a minivan to fit the three kids because I doubt it would be comfy in a Corvette with three kiddos. By this point, Michael was still having behavior issues and lashing out in anger. Hmm, I wonder why. And eventually, when he was just a sophomore in high school, he ended up dropping out. He waited until he was 18 years old when he, in essence, ran away to join the army. The year was 1979. He seemed to be successful away from the grasp of his mother. And after boot camp, he was to be stationed in Georgia. But even though he was glad to have escaped the claws of his mother, she was his mother after all. And he decided to visit her before going to his first duty assignment. Well, wouldn't you freaking know it? He hadn't even been visiting his mama dearest for a few days when all of a sudden, ow, pangs of stomach pain began to destroy Michael. 
He somehow eventually made it to his first duty assignment, but the young man who had graduated from boot camp was far from the young man that showed up at the base. So he had no choice but to check himself into the military hospital. Army physicians ran tons of tests on him and found that he had metal poisoning. Specifically, he had extremely high levels of arsenic in his blood, seven times more than normal. They fought for six weeks to save his life. And guess what? He pulled through. But while his life was saved, he was left physically disabled due to muscle atrophy. He couldn't use his hands nor his lower legs, basically making him a paraplegic. He had to use special braces and prosthetic equipment that weighed about 60 pounds to be able to get around. And his super loving and caring mom, Judy, she took him back in with open arms after he was medically discharged from the military at the end of 79. In my opinion, poor Michael tried so hard to escape, but here he was back in Judy's house and now he was helpless. In May of 1980, Judy and her two sons decided to go on a fishing trip. Remember, Michael could hardly move on his own, but that didn't bother Judy. She figured they all just needed some fresh air. And what's the worst that could happen on a boat, right? The three of them are out in a canoe just fishing when all of a sudden a snake got tangled in some fishing line. And in their frenzy to get the snake out, because I would have freaked the hell out myself, the canoe capsized. Michael, weighed down by his special equipment, sank down like a rock and drowned. Judy and James survived. When first responders arrived, Judy told them about Michael's situation, and they discovered that he was in fact dead and had drowned. They probably looked at Judy like, why in the hell would you take him out to the water lady? But Judy reassured them that she was a doctor and she was just looking out for his mental health. And with that, her version of events went unquestioned for now. The case was closed as an accidental drowning and Judy attempted to cash in on Michael's, wait for it, life insurance policy. Well, the army didn't think that Michael's death was an accident and they conducted their own investigation. But unfortunately, they didn't come up with anything solid and were forced to pay out the $20,000 life insurance policy to Judy. Judy, again, was rolling in money now after all the playouts that she had received on James Goodyear, Bobby Joe, and Michael's lives. Plus, let's not forget the two burned down houses that she had received payouts on. And well, you might be thinking, dang, this lady is either the unluckiest SOB or the luckiest SOB. How does this keep happening to this one particular woman? Recently, I covered two unsolved cases, which I am sure caused you to pause and analyze your inner detective. Well, if you want to hone in on that inner detective, then you need to check out June's Journey. June's Journey is a mobile game that you can play anywhere while connected to Wi-Fi. June's Journey takes you through the main character, June's, adventure to uncover family secrets. Her first task is to uncover the mystery of her sister's death. You will be using your keen eye to spot hidden clues in the immersive scenes that take you across the globe. The scene is set in the 1920s, so it's like going back in time. June's Journey is a hidden object mystery game, and I love playing while waiting for my kids at the bus stop. It allows me to clear my mind from the tasks of the day and to refocus on my mommy duties. What I love about June's Journey is that not only are you searching for objects, but you can join other players online in a detective club. And then you also get to design this luxurious island estate that is all yours. 
And if you have friends who play, you can gift each other trees, flowers, and other amazing decorative items. Today, I invite you to escape reality and immerse yourself in the world of June Parker. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Go ahead, download June's Journey today. Judy is a serial dater, meaning she does not like to be single for long, and she soon meets a local businessman by the name of John Gentry. She wants to spice things up a bit, right? So she tells John that she has a PhD in biochemistry and psychology, and John thinks he's hit the jackpot with this one. They soon begin dating and boom, they go on lavish vacations. He showers her with expensive gifts and they live the high life together. Eventually, they get engaged and Judy and John decided, you know, it might be a good idea to take out life insurance policies on each other. But then something happens and John believes the life insurance policies aren't put into place, but he's not worried about it. Whatever. It's not a big deal. It's during this time that John gets a cold. And Judy decides they all need to be super healthy and they need to start taking these special vitamins. John's like, yes, ma'am, sign me up. So he starts taking the vitamins that Judy gives him. But the vitamins are making him feel queasy and dizzy. He checks himself into the hospital where he makes a full recovery. And when he returns home, he starts taking the vitamins again. And he finds that on the days he takes these vitamins, he's throwing up. And on the days he doesn't, he's perfectly fine. So he stops taking them. Soon thereafter, Judy has some splendid news for John. John is waiting with bated breath to hear what she has to say when Judy announces, I'm pregnant. What? John is over the moon. Yay! He's always wanted to be a father. Judy suggests he go get some champagne so that they can celebrate. And John is like, yeah, you don't have to tell me twice. And off he goes. He jumps into his car and boom, goes the dynamite. Quite literally, the car explodes. An explosion in a residential area is going to catch some eyes. And this explosion did just that. But first, guess what? John Gentry is like a freaking cat. He has nine lives because while badly injured, the freaking man survives the bombing. But this is not something detectives can just ignore. In the trunk, they find actual dynamite. How the hell did that get there and who put it there? And clearly the person who put this in a car on a residential road has no care for human life. And detectives wanted to get to the bottom of this. According to an episode of Deadly Women, detectives ask John, do you have any enemies? And he's straight up like, no, no, not at all. So detectives ask, what about your fiance? And John says, no way. He cannot fathom that his pregnant fiance would be up to no good. But detectives are not so sure. And when they begin to pull back the curtain on Judy Buenoano's life, they find a trail of dead husbands and a dead son. And then they discover that Judy has taken out a $500,000 life insurance policy on John. What? That's $1.3 million policy in today's dollars. When detectives confront John with this insurance policy, he's like, wait, what? When we talked about life insurance, myself and Judy, it was only supposed to be for $50,000 and those didn't go through anyway. Well, my friend, the detectives told him, you are wrong. Had you died in that car bombing, she would have received a whopping $500,000 payout. 
Another kicker, remember that pregnancy she told John about? It was a big, fat, giant lie. She had actually been surgically sterilized years earlier in 75. So yeah, another lie. And to think of it, if Miss Judy hadn't gotten herself into any more trouble, oh, homegirl had booked herself a world cruise for her and her two kids scheduled for just a few weeks after the car bombing. The cruise was scheduled to be without John Gentry. Hmm, I wonder why. And also listen, I listen to a lot of true crime and going on a cruise with a serial killer is like asking to be made to disappear. Just saying. At this point, the investigator's spidey senses were on high alert and John Gentry, he was a smart guy. He had actually kept some of those so-called vitamins that Judy was giving him to be super healthy. So detectives got those tested and they discover that they were laced with a poison called paraformaldehyde. This chemical is used in salons to sterilize the tools they use. And remember, Judy owned a nail salon. Well, warrants were executed, and when they raided Judy's house, they found physical evidence that linked homegirl to the car bomb and phone records that linked her to a guy who dealt in dynamite. Judy was eventually tried for three things, the murder of her first husband, the murder of her son, and the attempted murder of her fiancé. And there was a slew of other things. It's unclear to me the order of the trials, except that I know she was tried for her son's murder and the attempted murder of John Gentry in Florida, and she was later tried for the murder of James Goodyear. At the first trial, the prosecution introduced evidence that Michael, her son, was poisoned, and it was the poisoning that caused his disability. Also, in order for them to determine this, they did have to exhume his body. They also found that Judy forged Michael's signature on one of the life insurance policies that she collected, and she lied to the insurance agent claiming her son was perfectly healthy even though he was already paralyzed by this point. And let's not forget, Judy got paid when her son died. According to reporting by Anna Shaw, Judy received roughly $108,800. That was a $20,000 military policy, an $85,000 prudential life insurance policy, and $3,800 from two smaller policies. Another thing about Michael's death that was shocking was that Judy lied to her family about him. Wait, what? She never actually told her family that he died when he did. She even planned family events and didn't even mention that Michael was gone. Eventually, though, she confided in her sister-in-law that Michael died, but said something to the effect of, yeah, when he was in the army, he was involved in some chemical warfare and insinuated that's why he died. It wasn't until three years later that the family learned that Michael had actually drowned. On John Gentry's attempted murder charge, well, we know a lot of what happened already, or at least we can deduce. But let me fill in some of the gaps. Judy not only had lied to him about her PhD, but she had told him that her first husband, James, had died in a plane crash in Vietnam. And she told him that her last boo thing in Colorado died from alcoholism. And remember when John wasn't feeling good and checked himself into the hospital? Well, when he was in the hospital, Judy was going around town telling everyone that John Gentry was suffering from terminal cancer. Of course, Judy was convicted of her son's death and John's attempted murder. She was sentenced to life in prison for her son's death and between 10 and 15 years for the attempted murder on the life of John Gentry. 
A year later, on August 31st, 1984, while she was sitting in jail, the prosecution brought additional charges having to do with Judy's first husband, James Goodyear, who died 13 years earlier on September 16, 1971. His body was exhumed, and lo and behold, he had extremely high volumes of arsenic in his body. Judy's defense attorney argued that it was possible the arsenic came from chemical defoliants he was exposed to in Vietnam. Dr. Robert Brahman, a University of South Florida chemist, well, he testified that Agent Blue, a defoliant used in Vietnam, it did in fact contain arsenic. However, he testified that James Goodyear would have had to drink 12 gallons of Agent Blue to reach the levels found in his liver. A forensic toxicologist who analyzed James' exhumed body testified that the level of arsenic found in James' liver, kidneys, hair, and nails indicated chronic exposure to arsenic poison. Close family friends testified that James was also hallucinating hardcore right before he entered the hospital and died. But during the early stages, Judy refused, absolutely refused to take him to the hospital. And if testimony couldn't get any crazier, you just wait. Two of Judy's good gal pals took the stand. And wouldn't you know it, one night when they were all gal palling around and smoking and joking, Judy had chatted about killing someone by poisoning their food. And then, wait for it, she actually told them she killed her first husband, James Goodyear. But these ladies never reported it. Now listen, it's completely possible they thought she was yanking their chain, but she clearly wasn't. She was just that good. That dang Judy Bueno Año. At the trial for James's death, prosecutors were able to present information about Bobby Joe. Remember, that was Judy's Colorado common-law hubby who also died. Well, his body was exhumed and boom, he had died from arsenic poison as well. And the plot thickens because Judy, the narcissist, decided that she needed to take the stand in her own defense. When she took the stand, she said she didn't poison her husband. She was like, he came from Vietnam and he was already sick. I quote her as saying, quote, he was not feeling well when he got off the plane. He was nauseous all the time. He saw things. His skin started to turn yellow, end quote. Well, the jury did not buy her story. They deliberated and they found her guilty of first degree murder. In considering the death penalty, the jury determined that four aggravating circumstances existed and no mitigating circumstances existed at all. And they sentenced her to death. Because Bobby Joe was killed in Colorado, they had jurisdiction on this case. But due to Judy already receiving the death penalty, they declined to pursue further charges in Colorado. And as if the plot wasn't thick enough, rumors are that Judy had yet another dead boyfriend in her wake by the name of Gerald Dossett. She wasn't charged with his death and there isn't much out there other than rumors that she killed him. So that's all I'll say here. And while most people wait their entire life to die on death row, 54-year-old Judy Buenoano was actually executed on March 30th, 1998. She had the distinction of being the first woman to be executed in the state of Florida since 1848. According to the Deseret News, she crocheted blankets and baby clothes while she was in jail. She wanted to be remembered as a good mother. 
When she was asked if she had any last words during her execution, she answered, no, sir. She squeezed her eyes closed and didn't make eye contact with anyone that was there to witness her execution. The power to the electric chair, nicknamed Old Sparky, was turned on at 7.08 a.m. At that point, electricity coursed through her body for 38 seconds. As she was being shocked, her right leg began to smoke. And she was pronounced dead five minutes later at 7.13 a.m. For obvious reasons, Judy Buenoano was known as the Black Widow. She was the first woman executed in the state of Florida in 150 years. Reporting by The Independent indicates the last female execution before Judy took place in 1848, when a slave by the name of Celia was hung for stabbing her owner to death. While in prison, Judy pretty much kept to herself and she rarely spoke to the media. She didn't want anyone's sympathy, though she claimed her innocence until the moment she died. She did say that she preferred to die than to stay in jail for the rest of her life. She was on female death row with two other ladies. According to The Independent, they called themselves Las Tres Amigas, which translates to the three friends. There you have it, True Crime Army, a female serial killer you rarely hear about. Also, not only did she kill her active duty husband, she caused her active duty son to become paralyzed and then she killed him for life insurance money. Now, that is just straight wicked. If you're not already signed up for my newsletter, now is the time to do so. If you sign up, you immediately have access to two bonus episodes. Yep, I just added a Mother's Day mini bonus episode that you won't want to miss. It's about a killer grandma, which is unheard of. Anyhow, you're probably wondering, how do I sign up for this newsletter? Well, link is in the show notes, or you can go to my website, militarymurderpodcast.com, scroll to the bottom and sign up that way, or just follow me on social media on Instagram at Military Murder Podcast or on Facebook at Military True Crime. The links will be there. This show was created by Mama Margot Productions and produced in collaboration with my bootcamp and higher fan club members. The music was created by TIAPS. Until next time, remember, you never really know what someone is capable of. So remain vigilant always. You have a fabulous week and I'll keep digging to bring you another military murder story next week. Podcast.